Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Last several weeks we've been studying about making our families what God expects out of us and what God desires for us. Uh, so oftentimes we look at the things that God wants for us and we equate that with requirements or things that have to be done or things we can't do. And, and oftentimes we're like the little child that, that wants the cookie out of the cookie jar. We don't understand why we can't have what we want to have. We can't understand the fact that, that God's telling us don't do this or you must do that. We just simply know that what we want is not what God wants for us at the moment and we have to wait or either uh, allow God to reveal something that's better for us or uh, simply go about doing the things that God wants for us in a different way. And so uh, today, we, uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, we looked at uh, reorienting our family and understanding that it's not all about us. It's about uh, uh, worshiping God and, and praising Him and, and making our heart focus on Him rather than on ourselves. And today I want to talk to, us, uh, talk to you about uh, achieving certain goals in our life. And one of the things that, that I've found is, is that with the proper way of doing things, there's a, a right way and then there's an easy way. There's a right way, a wrong way, and an easy way. A lot of times the easy way can be one of those other two. But oftentimes we tend to... Uh, my, my whole personality is, is I tend to always do things the most difficult way. It's not that it's not the right way or the wrong way or the easy way. It just seems that, that in everything that I choose, it seems to be the hardest way. Uh, and a lot of times... Uh, well, growing up, we didn't have the most money in, in the world. Uh, I went to a private school. My parents uh, sacrificed in order to send me and uh, there, and my brother went there, and, and it was a Christian school, so it was a school that had a lot of good uh, uh, influences on us, and it helped us to be guided in the right direction, but it was expensive. It, was, it cost money. And I was in school with people that didn't necessarily uh, desire to go to that school because it was a Christian school. Some students were there because they had to go because their parents thought, well, uh, the public school has, doesn't have enough rules and my child's gotten in trouble or kicked out of private, uh, public school, so I'm going to send them to this private school that has a whole lot more uh, rules and regulations and maybe they'll straighten up. <coughs> Excuse me. Some of them actually were sent there as punishment. Right. 
because they uh, because they were messing up in public school, so they had to go to the private school as a punishment because they had to cut their hair a certain length uh, if they were boys. They had to wear certain clothes uh, uh, to go to school there. You had to do certain things. But then there were others that were there simply because it was a status symbol. It was it cost money to go there, and they had money, so they sent their children there to take them out of the uh, uh, the ma- unwashed mashes of the public school and put them in private school because they had the money. Well, I wasn't there because my parents had money. I wasn't there because I messed up. I was there because my parents wanted me to get a good education and wanted me to go to a place that had a good Christian uh, influence. So uh, I was in the minority. I was there because we struggled and sacrificed. My parents uh, scraped by and did everything they could in order to send us there for that reason. But money tends to to grease the wheels for a lot of things. We learned that. Uh, I learned that at that school. It was. So I noticed that especially when I turned sixteen. All my friends that were there because they had the money, they were getting the nice cars when they turned 16. Some of them had a car when they were still 15 and hadn't yet turned 16. And then there were others that had not just a car, but they had a nice car. A Z28 was the big thing for boys back then uh, at my at that age. And, and I remember a, a, a young girl that was in my class that turned 16 and she her parents got her uh, Z28. And I was thinking, my gosh, uh, that that must be nice to be able to li- li- be in a family that, that you, they can just go out and get you a brand new car. You just turned 16. You're the most clumsy at that age with driving and your parents are going to give you uh, an expensive car like that. But money tends to do things in order to help you get ahead in life. You can get uh, pay money to get a better education. You can pay money to, to go and, and learn uh, things. You can, you can pay money in order to, to go and, and get outside help. There were some students that were not very good as students there at that school, and so their parents would pay to have tutors that would come in and work with them after school. <clears throat> And there were some that would have uh, just another student that was a straight-A student to come in and be the tutor. And there were others that would hire uh, teachers or hire uh, educators that weren't actually teaching, but uh, they had a teaching certificate or teaching education, and and they would hire that person to be a tutor to come in. Maybe they were a math expert and or a math major, and they would hire them to come in and, and uh, tutor their child. I never got any of that. I had to do it all on my own. I had to do uh, do the work myself. Uh, as I said, we didn't have the, the influences of money that made it easy to do some of those things. Money also helps you uh, to have the best in opportunities a lot of times. You can buy uh, those. Back then you had to buy that that. Uh, extra information, especially if it meant somebody going out and doing research to compile all that information. Now we've got Google. You know, uh, today with the internet, 
uh, kids just don't understand what it means to go and 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 have to do all the hard work. You remember? Go, I remember growing up had to go to the library and learn how to use the card catalog and how to pull out those cards and find what I had to find in the card catalog and then go and find it in the library and, and do all your research that way. Kids nowadays, they just hit a few buttons and all that information just pops up in front of them. But there's all that money, it tends to uh, do a lot of good for you. You can do a lot of great things with money in order to get ahead and, and to improve things in your life. But there's one thing that money just can't buy, and that's experience. I remember the first time going out and trying to get a job, and I had no experience, no uh, prior jobs, and I would have people. They would look at me and they'd say, "Well, you got you. You know, you're a nice young man. You've got a lot of good qualities about you, but you have no experience. Come back when you have some experience." And I'd look at them and I'd say, "Well, I'm trying to get the experience. Hire me, and I'll get some experience." But they would say, "No, you don't have any experience. Uh, you have to. Uh, you need to have experience in order to work here." And that was the hardest thing to get the proper experience, to be able to... But, you know, it's, it's just like, like I said, when you are first driving, experience is, is key. And nowadays, fortunately, they make uh, young drivers to, to get a lot of experience. When I turned 15 and got my uh, driving permit, I wanted to drive all the time. Wanted to get out there and, and try and drive and all of that because I was looking forward to the day I could tur- that I turned 16 and I could go and get my driver's license. And back then, you just got your driver's license at 16 and that was it. You drive all that you wanted and anytime you wanted to. And, and, but nowadays, it doesn't seem like young people are so eager to get their driver's license. I, couldn't, I can't understand that, but, but I, I, that was a goal for, of mine was to get ex- experience enough to where I could drive and get my driver's license. And I remember as somebody uh, that was young and trying to learn, I was terrified when I first started driving. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a, a cousin that was uh, that's six months older than I am. And we hung out a lot because we were so close in age. And I remember right after he got his driver's license, we were visiting Gastonia, and, and he, he and his parents were there at my grandparents' house. And, and uh, we said, hey, we're going to go somewhere. And, and they said, well, why don't you take your cousin with you? And so I got to go with him somewhere. And he got in the car, and, and he was a brand-new driver, and he sat behind that wheel and he said a prayer before, we, before he turned on the car. And I said, well, that, that's interesting. He wasn't a really a, a huge religious person, and yet he's saying a prayer. And I, said, I asked him after he prayed, I said, that was really nice, but why'd you pray? And he said, I'm scared to death. I'm going to do something wrong. So I prayed that I would I would drive so so I wouldn't get in an accident. And I said, okay, that's great. I, I agree with that prayer. I, I go around, right along there with you on that. But um, experience jades you that to that. You can get into that same car uh, two two or three years later after driving all the time, and guess what? You're not going to be nearly as afraid as when you first got behind that wheel. Experience changes a lot, and unfortunately. 
experience tends to uh, cloud our vision, cloud the, our view of things. And, and a lot of times uh, when we go into something, though, we, we don't have the experience to cover that. We don't have the experience to, to help us through that. Uh, one thing comes to mind is is being a parent for the first time. When you you can you can take care of of babies all you want to, but becoming a parent, you are terrified. I know I was when we uh, when we first became parents because guess what? You can't. It's you're not just there taking care of that baby for a little while. It's always there. It's always your responsibility and. So expectations are not always what you expect it to be. And they can't always cover where you enter into that. And having a family and, and going through life is, is that way. I, uh, lots of times when I've counseled young couples that come to me and talk to me about their life as they get ready to go into marriage. I tend to te- uh, direct them to this passage of Scripture found in Ephesians because it's obviously going to be something that's brought up. Uh, starting in verse uh, 20, it says, "...giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." This is Ephesians 5, verse 21. "...submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be uh, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water and the, by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So also, uh, so all men to love their wives as their own bodies. And he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, that they the two shall be made one flesh. This is a great mystery that I speak, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. As we've been looking at re uh, orienting ourselves in terms of the church, of our family and, and having a, uh, a closer look at what God desires for us. We see in this passage of Scripture that many times um, what God expects of the, of the family is not always what we expect when we enter into it. God says first and foremost that, uh, that we are to... It's not... When you read this, it's not that we uh, that God starts off with wives. You need to back that up a little bit. It says, uh, first and foremost, that we should learn to submit ourselves one to another. You can't leave that verse out. You can't leave out the importance of that verse. God says to us through His servant Paul 
to the church at Ephesus and now to, to this church here at Mount Olive, we need to learn to submit to one another in love. In love. And everything that Paul talks about, whether it's women or men, wives or husbands, he says love is the key. Love is the central force. We are to submit ourselves in love to one another. The reason that you submit, wives, that you submit yourselves to your husbands is out of love. It's not out of a sense of obligation. It's not because a marriage certificate says you ought to. It's not because a pastor stands up and says that that's what you're supposed to do. It's that you're to submit yourselves to your husband in love. And I, I remember when uh, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in 2000 up there in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we were tackling this passage of Scripture and this aspect of life at that Southern Baptist Convention. We were kind of changing around and, and doing things a little differently. We uh, ratified the uh, Baptist Faith and Message 2000 that was an update from the 1963 version. And this passage of Scripture, this aspect was, was left out of the 63 version and this was something that was brought up during that time. And I remember my brother and I went together as uh, pastors and we went there as, uh, to get to the convention and we you know, kind of shared a room and shared expenses, shared meals. And, and we, were, we decided that during the convention this particular time that we'd just go across the street to a mall and, and grab a quick bite in the mall. So we were standing there in the food court waiting to get uh, our food. And <clears throat> this lady comes up to me and starts laying in on me saying, who are you to say that, uh, that I have to submit to my husband? Who are you to come in and tell me what I've got to do? And I said, excuse me, ma'am, I don't know you. She said, well, y'all are over there making these votes and making these decisions and saying that wives are to submit to their husbands. You just want us pregnant and in the kitchen and just to be a, a, a doormat for our husbands. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, that's not what it says. And this is what I told her, and I'm going to sum up this passage of Scripture in this uh, way for you because... Uh, I blabbed too long and we're running out of time and I need to get to the heart of the matter. I said, ma'am, I said, if you'll look at that passage of Scripture, there's three times the number of verses that address men than there are, or husbands than it does women or wives. I said, ma'am, if you look at it, the wives have the easier task. And, and you say, well, yeah, but it says that you're to submit, we're to submit to our husbands. And I said, look, first of all, it says that you're to submit to one another. That's the first thing it says. So husbands, we're not out of the woods in terms of that we're to submit to our wives as our wives submit to us. But it says in that verse, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit unto the Lord. It says, in essence, it's saying your role in being a... Uh, being a part of your family is to understand your role in that family. And, and there has to be a head of the family and that head needs to be your husband. But he needs to follow after the Lord and he needs to, to submit himself to God first and foremost. So it says, yours, and I said, look, ma'am, I said, really you have the easier task. You, you have to submit to your husband. But your husband, look what it says to the husband's. It says, it says, husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And everything that follows after that talks about how um, we are to love our wives as in, with the prime example of Jesus Christ loving, him, uh, loving the church. Now, what was Paul getting at there? He was saying, look, wives, yes, you need to submit yourselves to the husbands. That was the order of things in the society that they were living in. I'm not going to diminish any at all uh, what, what the Bible says of, of that. Uh, you need to understand and learn the fact that you are not submitting to your husband in terms of seeing yourself as less than he is, but that you are uh, submitting yourselves the same way the church submits itself to the leadership and the headship of Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Now, that's important because of what Jesus Christ does for the church. Jesus Christ loved the church so much. He loves you and me so much. What did He do? How did He express His love? He expressed His love in going to the cross and sacrificing Himself for us, for me and you, so that we might have salvation. He loved us so much. He was willing to give Himself up completely and go to the cross and bear whatever punishment that we deserved so that we might have access to the Father. Now, and you can't take that out of that equation. So what God is telling us is, is we need to have that kind of loving relationship in our home that is in essence a mirror image of His love for us. He's saying, wives, you need to submit yourselves to your husbands because why? Because the church submits themselves to God. And we need to, and you need to understand that that a great deal of submitting to the love of someone else is is learning to accept the love that's given to you. Wives, you need to submit yourselves to your husbands. Why? Because they are to love you with the with the kind of love that Jesus Christ demonstrated. They are to love you more than they love themselves. They are to love you. Now, why did God say that wives are to submit to your husbands and husbands are to love your wife in that way? He did that because... Let's, 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 take, a, let's take it out of the equation. Okay, wives, you don't, you don't have... Let's just say for a minute we can change things around. I don't like the fact that I have to submit myself to my husband, okay? So I'm not going to do it. So I've got a husband that loves me so much that he loves me more than himself, loves me so much he's willing to sacrifice himself for me. If I don't love him reciprocally in the same way in which I submit myself to him, what's going to happen? He's going to love me so much he's going to be willing to do whatever he, uh, whatever I ask of him because he loves me more than he loves himself and he loves me to the point of being willing to give himself for me. So if I don't love him with the same passion, the same love that He has for me, then I'm going to walk all over Him. You see? Because I'm going to say, well, you love me so much. I, uh, you can do this for me. You can do that for me. You can go and do all these kind of things for me. And so uh, if I don't love... Uh, it, wise, if you don't love your husbands in the same way in which uh, God calls for the church to, to love Him, then you can just walk all over that love. See, it's important you have to understand what he says. First of all, we ought to submit ourselves one to another. 
And so in order for wives to love their husbands in the fashion that is... He's not asking you to submit yourself to, uh, to love your husband so much you're willing to give yourself completely and sacrifice for him. He's just simply saying submit to your husband. Submit to that love. Accept that love. Allow that love to come into your life and wash over you. You can't have the kind of love that says I love you more than myself and I love you to the point of sacrificing myself without having the kind of love that says I'll submit to that love. I'll accept that love. I'll reciprocate that love. And so God is saying to you wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to the head which is Jesus Christ. Submit and allow that love to wash over you and, and allow that love to love you. But husbands, you have to love that wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. If you don't, you're going to walk all over her, which is strong in that submissive language. And so that perfect marriage is not going to be complete unless we love each other the way that God calls us to love each other. Wives, submit yourselves so that you'll accept that love and so you'll be willing to, to have an equal part in that love. Husbands, love your wife enough to sacrifice and give yourself completely. Give yourself totally. Now, why did God do this? God did this so that we could understand the kind of love that He has for us. Because guess what? It's the same image of the love that God has for us. God wanted to demonstrate to us the kind of love that He has for us in that we're to, we as the church are to submit to God, to Jesus Christ as the head of our, of our life, as the head of the church. We're to submit ourselves and love Him with that submission and, and express our love through being submissive to His love and allowing that love to wash over us. We have to be submissive to that love because that in doing so we accept that love. You can't... If you're in a one-sided relationship, what happens? Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. Well, you can't just sit there and not accept it. It's, it, it's not love until you accept that love. we got to accept the love of Jesus Christ. And when we do, we, when we accept that love, we're submissive to that love. We're submissive to His leadership and guidance in our life. That doesn't make us a doormat, it makes us the recipient of a love that we can't understand. And that's why God did this. He wanted us to understand that love, but He also wanted us to be able to see the image of what love was supposed to be. And so, God uses this two ways. He says, I want you to see what true love is and that my love for you. And He says, I want you to use that true love as a model for the love that you have in your home. You can't have love unless it's accepted. And you can't have love unless it gives totally and completely. And that's what God's desiring for us. Look what, what the goal for the love that Jesus expresses to us is. If you'll turn over in, uh, in my Bible, I have to turn the page. It says in verse... Um, 
25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Why? Why did He do this? First of all, that He might sanctify the church. Sanctify means to make that church, make us to be worthy of receiving His love. To sanctify us. Then He says also to purify us. To purify, to sanctify and purify us so that we might be clean and whole before Him. Why does He want us to be clean and whole before Him? So that He might, secondly, present us in glory without spot or blemish or wrinkle or anything and that we might be holy without blemish. So, first of all, He wants to sanctify and, and cleanse us. Second of all, He wants us to present us before Him without spot or blemish. And thirdly, <clears throat> that, he, that we might be presented before Him. And so God's desire is, is that, that we would be made pure and holy, that we might be presented to Him and that we might be eternally in that bond. And that's what God's desire is for our, our family life as well. If we're an example of God's love for us and He wants us to see that love exemplified, in our marriage, then we need to also make our love in our homes in the same way. We need to be made complete uh, and made pure and holy through everything that we do for each other, that we might uh, present ourselves properly before God, that we might be presented uh, pure without blemish and without spot before God, and that we might be united for eternity before God. That's God's desire for His church. It's God's desire for our family. And that's why it's so important for us to understand the role of the family in, in our church and marriage in our church. That's why it's so important for us to understand the significance of why marriage is so important in the Bible. It's because it is an image of what God desires for us to, to understand His love is for us. And to see that image so we might understand and know His love and that we might understand what He desires for us as well. Let's join together in prayer.